Good morning. So glad that you're with us this morning. I do want to, as way of reminder, tell you that next week we will have two services. Uh, we'll have concurrent services, which means that they will happen at the same time. We'll have a service in the Family Center that starts at 955, and we have a service in here that's normal. Everything's the same in here. Uh, we do that because we are a growing congregation. We have had to do this a few times, and we see uh, next weekend as a pretty big weekend. Our attendance is usually uh, pretty great on uh, ACU's homecoming weekend, and so we want to make accommodations for that. Remember a couple of things associated when we do the concurrent services. Number one, uh, we ask our 40s through 60s class who is already in the Family Center to kind of be the ones that stay over there if at all possible. And uh, we want our guests to be filtered towards the auditorium if we can. But also, you'll notice that we have added some parting, parking. It's, you know, it's, it's caliche or gravel, whatever, but it is there that we can use. And so uh, hopefully we'll utilize those spaces and it's been approved and tested by Steve Brown, so you won't get stuck like he did last time. So you're able to park out there, and we hope that you'll use those spaces as well, especially our members, maybe give our guests room to park up front, closer to the building. You know, we're talking about Titus 1, 5 through 9. We're talking about elders this morning, not because the elders asked me to, but that's just where our His Word study is taking us this morning and it reminds me of a story true story about a young couple that had been visiting uh, the church in their area for quite some time and so two of the elders at this congregation said uh, we need to go and visit them and just kind of ask them if they have any questions we we'll get to know them a little better so they called up the young couple and the young couple was ecstatic for them to come by and visit and so the two elders go and they talk to the young couple and they get to you know, know them a little better. And during the course of their conversation, the young lady said, you know, I called my mom and told her that y'all were going to stop by. And her response was, oh, no, what did you do? <laughs> and I think that's sometimes the perception that we have of elders, that you must have done something wrong if the elders are going to come by and visit with you. We tend to see the elders as a group of businessmen that stay behind locked doors and only emerge if there's a problem. We tend to see them as firemen and policemen, right? They come out from their locked doors to put out fires and to enforce the rules, which is really not so. Now, we need to think of elders as trail guides and paramedics, because that's what they really are. They lead us down the path of righteousness and they stop to administer first aid when needed. But I've seen this in action, and maybe you have as well. Our shepherds here, before anyone places membership, wants to get to know the people. And so they ask them to stop by, and, and maybe they go and visit them. There's not, it's not all of them at once, but maybe one or two that they go and they visit. And when they have them come into the elders' conference room, it's almost like walking into the principal's office, isn't it? But that shouldn't be the case, but sometimes that is the perception. You know, I read a story recently about two German shepherds. One German, these are the dogs, right? There's not, these are not elders in Germany. These are dogs. <laughs> and one of the German shepherds went out into a cornfield and found a farmer and was barking and running back and forth, obviously trying to get this man's attention. He wanted this farmer to follow him and so the farmer did and he goes out into a portion of the cornfield that's very remote and there is another German shepherd lying on the ground suffering because somebody had shot it in the leg 
And so the farmer, again, a remote area, calls up a vet who says, I'll be out there. And, and as he's making his way out there, the one German shepherd is licking the wounds of the one that's hurt. And I, I read that story and I think even animals get it, don't they? Even animals understand that you've got to take care of your own. And elders are much the same way, just in a spiritual sense, right? Godly elders lick the wounds of those who are spiritually hurting. They provide help for the fallen. They may even amputate or help amputate the sin that is in someone's life so that they can recover. But let's move from the cornfield into the church. Let's not talk about dogs, but let's talk about real people for a moment. And Larry read a portion of it a moment ago. Let's look at Titus chapter 1, and starting at verse 5, it says, Paul's writing, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. When I was coaching, I was at a very remote school in the Ozarks, the foothills of the Ozarks. And if you know anything about Arkansas or northern Arkansas, there's a lot of these little remote schools. They don't play football, just basketball and baseball, but mainly basketball. Basketball is a big deal. And most of these little schools in these remote areas are really good at basketball. And so my job was not to mess it up. And so I come in, and one of the first things we did is when I got hired in July of 1997, I went up there three days a week, and I opened the gym during the summer and let the kids come in so I could just evaluate the talent. And then when school started, because we didn't have football, the basketball season starts in October, and it runs all the way to February, March, so it's a really long season. So I'm sure the kids thought, new coach, he's going to come in, we're going to start scrimmaging right away and doing fundamentals and things like that, but we didn't. For the first month of the season, the kids never saw a basketball, never touched a basketball. You know what we did for the first month of school? We ran, and we ran, and we ran. We did a whole lot of running. Why? Well, for two reasons. Number one, because any time a new coach comes in, half the school wants to come out for basketball. New coach, we got a new opportunity, right? So you run them to weed out the kids that aren't finishers. Who's going to be with me till the end? Who's going to put in the work and the effort to be great? That's part of the reason. But the real reason and the most important reason why we ran for the first month of the season is I was not going to get beat by being out of shape. That wasn't going to happen. Hustle never has a bad day. It never has a losing streak. You can always play hard, right? always and so we were going to be in shape my motto was when the other team's pulling on their shorts we're going to pull on the rim and so we ran and we ran and we ran if it was if it had something to do with running we did it military run timed run Libby used to run with them I'd take them about two miles outside of town what little town we had and I'd drop them off at the rodeo arena make them run back to school I lived on the highest point in the county 
And so there was quite a winding driveway to get up to my house. We ran that hill every day. Anything I could do to associate running and to get them in shape, we weren't going to lose games because we were out of shape. Now, why do I tell you that? Not to toot my own horn because, to be quite honest with you, we weren't that good. But I think the obvious thing would be to start with picking up a basketball. But it starts somewhere else. It starts with being in shape. And the same is true when we talk about elders. The obvious starting point is to start with 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, right? That's the obvious starting point. You have the checklist. You run down the checklist. If the guy meets that that checklist, then he's an elder. I don't think so. I think there's more to it than that. I think you start somewhere else. I think there's even a more basic list to start with because I don't believe, maybe you do, but I don't believe that Titus had this checklist in hand and he was observing men and going, okay, husband of one wife, got that. Not fond of sordid gain, got that. I don't think he sat down with these men and interviewed them and said, okay, you seem like a good candidate, but uh, is that the only wife you've had? I think think he was obviously observing their character and obviously their reputation played into it, But I think you start with another list before you get here. And here's the list. Look familiar? I think that's the list you start with. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know why you start with that list? Because if a man is not filled with and led by the Spirit, he's not qualified to be an elder. I mean, you think about it. You can meet all those checklist items and still not be qualified, can't you? Do you want a grouchy old man leading you? I mean, you think about it. If you've got someone that's not joyful, you want that guy leading you? You want someone who's not patient or kind or loving leading you? Okay, yeah, maybe he's, you know, the husband of one wife, but he's not self-controlled in other ways. You see what I'm getting at? And I, I totally understand the ramifications of this. I do. I understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you start with this list before you get to the other list. I don't mean that you discredit the other list or that you ignore it. If it's in the Bible, you follow it, right? And you apply it. But I think that there's a vetting process here, and it's not just about making sure that they tick all the boxes. There's more to it than that. You know, I I love our elders. And as I said, they didn't pay me more to preach this sermon this morning. In fact, they didn't know I was going to preach this sermon until this morning, but it does bother me that most of our sermons on elders zero in on the qualifications, that that's the, the end-all, be-all. It's important. It's vital. If an elder or prospective elder doesn't meet those qualifications, he's not qualified. I'm just saying that we start somewhere else. Please hear me on this. When we talk about elders... We're talking about a statement that Paul makes here in Titus chapter 1 that I think sets the tone for everything else we need to talk about. Everything else we've already talked about. Notice it again. He says, if any man is above reproach. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Reproach here simply means blameless. Paul is telling Titus that the man who occupies the office of elder must be one whom an evil charge cannot be sustained. He should be free from accusations that can be rightly proven. And this doesn't just apply to a church setting. 
No, the responsibility of one who serves as a shepherd does not begin and end in the church. The elder who was fit to serve has other realms of responsibility. It was believed that if he failed within these realms, he wasn't qualified. What are the two realms? Well, the first one's the home, right? The home is where everything starts. Paul is telling Titus that the man who occupies the office of elder must be one who can handle his own household. Notice again, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? If the man can't even handle his own children, how can he handle church people who act like children, right? It's important that he be able to be a leader in his own household because that's a good proving ground for being a leader in the church. Now, I think there is some nuance to this that we have to understand. Because I've heard it said that a man who is, who is maybe looking to be appointed as an elder by the other elders, they, they single out this man, they say he would be really good, he meets the qualifications, he, he ticks all those boxes that we talked about, but out of his four children, he's got one that's not faithful. Therefore, he's disqualified. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that. Grown children have a responsibility as well. Grown children make their own decisions, and if they decide to turn away from their upbringing, that's on them. It shouldn't disqualify the gentleman who is, who is being put up for an elder. However, how he handles that can be a really good testament to his leadership as well. But if he did his best, his utmost to raise his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that's what counts, right? The second realm where he must prove himself is in the outside world. In the community, if you will. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fail, or fall, I should say, into reproach and the snare of the devil. You know, the world is constantly scanning the religious landscape with its hypocrisy radar, isn't it? The world is constantly looking for a reason to discredit the church and, of course, the people in it. And so, you think about what damage can be done to the church when a man is appointed an elder who has no business being in that position? The guys at Rotary Club know he's dishonest. The people he works with know that he's a jerk. You know, the people you know, at the golf course know that he's a womanizer. What does that say about the church that he is an elder of? Well, it says that they must not be very, uh, uh, they must not cherish or value the mission if you put a guy like that in a position as overseer. However, think about what it says about the church, about its mission, if you put a gentleman in that position who is hardworking, who is someone who meets all the qualifications, but also is led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit. You think about what that can do for the church. It lets people know that we are serious about what's going on here, that we want to make a difference in the world around us, that we are serious about living out the gospel. I've said it before, and you've heard it over and over again. The biggest argument for Christianity is what? Christians, right? However, the biggest argument against Christianity is Christians. And so we've got to be those people that are led by the right people. And we've got to be those people who follow God's command, who seek to be those sheep who follow the shepherds, who are also following the good shepherd. There are two very important reasons why God 
seeks blameless men to lead his church, to set the right example on the inside, and to send the right message on the outside. So the family on the inside will be inspired, and the observers on the outside will be impressed. You ever been to Buckingham Palace? You know what it is? I've been there. I've been everywhere in Europe and don't remember any of it. I was a kid. I've got the pictures to prove it. And every one of these pictures, whether in Paris or London or wherever, there's somebody holding me. And I asked my mom one time, I said, why is somebody different holding me in all these pictures? She said, well, when we were in Europe, uh, we lived over there. I was born there. They said, when we were in Europe, people would just come up and ask if they could hold, their, hold your baby. I said, really? I said, you know, they could have run off with me. And she goes, huh, yeah, I guess they could have. <laughs> so we have this picture at Buckingham Palace. And Buckingham Palace is guarded by these men who wear really funny hats. You ever seen this? They stand at attention the whole time they're on duty. I don't know if they even blink. Not so much as a twitch of a muscle, right? What message does that send? I think it sends a very clear message that we care about what's on the inside. That what's on the inside is valued and is extremely important to us. Consider if this guard had his shirt untucked and his hat on backwards and was smoking a cigarette and talking on a cell phone. What kind of message would that send? Probably that we don't really care too much about our job and we don't really value who is on the inside, right? The royal family on the inside is just not that important to us. And the same is true when it comes to appointing men to lead the congregation. Do they value what or who is on the inside? Do they take that role and responsibility seriously? In guarding his church, God expects us to seek the best men. Paul starts with that phrase, if any man. And did you notice that everything that follows that phrase really is just a byproduct of someone who is above reproach? Really, everything else that comes after that phrase is describing or defining someone who is above reproach. If someone is above reproach, if any man is above reproach, he will likely lead his household in a godly fashion. He won't be, he won't be accused of dissipation or rebellion. He'll be a good steward. He won't be self-serving or self-seeking. He'll be hospitable. He'll be, he'll be loving what is good and, and be devout. And, and, and all of those qualifications that are set forth there in Titus chapter 1. They really are just a manifestation of someone who is above reproach. Being above reproach really just sets the tone for all of it. You remember when uh, God uh, anointed Samuel the prophet to go and find a king for the people? And his first encounter was with a guy by the name of Eliab. And if you'll remember this account, Samuel thought that that was the guy. Why did he think Eliab would be the guy? Well, because he met the outward appearance. He had the stature. He was big and he was strong. I mean, obviously, he should be the one that fills that role of king. And do you remember what God said? Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees, not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I bring that up because we've got to be careful not to fall into the same trap when choosing elders. What you see so often in our churches is 
We pick the guy who's got deep pockets. We pick the guy who has the stature in the community. He's famous in the community. We pick the guy who's a good businessman because obviously if he runs his business well, then he can run the church business well. Like Samuel, we've got to look past the outward appearance. Because this brings up a problem, and it's a problem we see all too often in our churches. It's boardroom elders versus living room elders. Elders are not CFOs and CEOs. That's not their job. Elders were not appointed because they're good with numbers. Paul didn't say, hey, Titus, go out and find the men who are really good at crunching numbers. Now, you know what the job of an elder is? You know what the job of a shepherd is? To lead sheep. That's it. That's it. That's their only job, is to lead sheep. Now, certainly, in the day and time that we live in, there are other things that get heaped upon them, but they've got to be careful to push those things aside. And remember, their number one role and responsibility. And Peter describes it very well. He says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Isaiah 40 and 11 reads, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing you. To be an elder means following in the footsteps of Jesus. Elders were never intended to be aloof figures at the top of an organizational flowchart. Our Lord never meant for them to be nameless faces that stay locked behind a closed door. They're not a volunteer fire department that just runs around putting out fires. No, God's church was to be a place where every elder knows the sheep. And every sheep knows the elders. A good shepherd doesn't look upon the sheep as a flock to be led, but rather a family to be cared for. Elders were intended to be godly men dedicated to feeding, leading, and caring for the church. And the only way to find this kind of man is by looking at the heart. Start with the heart. Because we cannot leave God's greatest treasure in the hands of individuals who don't have a heart for what Christ died for. Our Lord leads us as a shepherd. And he leads us through the shepherds, doesn't he? But there's this myth. And I'm afraid to say it's not so much a myth. It's actually a truth or a reality in a lot of our churches. You've heard the old saying, the preachers do the elders' work, the elders do the deacons' work, and the deacons don't know what they're doing. And it sounds funny, and it is kind of, except when it's reality, and it is in a lot of places. Because what happens all too often is that the elders attend meetings where they make decisions about finances and facilities and functions. The preacher visits the hospital. He does the Bible studies. He teaches the Bible class. He is the arm of evangelism in the church. The deacon doesn't know what their job is because, quite frankly, the elders have been doing it or they can't do their job because the elders are too busy micromanaging them. And then what are the, what are the congregants to do? What are the members to do? Well, why should they do anything? Everything else is getting done. And so you hear quite often, well, we don't do that. That's why we hired a preacher. Now, it would be funny if it weren't so true. But sadly, you see this so often. 
Folks, we need a paradigm shift in the way we think of elders and probably deacons and, and the preacher as well. But we need a paradigm shift in the way that we think about shepherds. What does an elder look like? How do we describe an elder? Peter, again, describes it perfectly. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So here's what shepherds do. Shepherds make sure the flock is spiritually fed. Shepherds strengthen those who are weak spiritually. Shepherds seek to heal those who are diseased with sin. They seek to encourage those who are broken, and they search for those who have wandered away. Yes, there are nuances to their responsibilities that get mixed in. And sometimes it's because of a burden that's been laid upon them by the congregation that never should have been brought to them. So we have a responsibility in this too. We have to remember what the elder's number one responsibility is, which is to shepherd sheep, right? And so we can't lay undue burdens upon them or bother them with things that are trivial, right? There's an order here. We can go to the deacon maybe that's over that or something of that nature. You know, as a school board member, I'll have people come to me sometimes and say, you know, Mr. School Board Member, uh, my son came home from school and told me that there is a kid in his class that has blue hair and piercings all over his body. That's just not right. That's a violation of the handbook. I don't want my kid going to school with someone like that. And I say, have you talked to the principal? No. Well, that's where you start, right? Start there. Don't start with the board of trustees. Start at the lowest level, right? Here's what I would love for our elders and all elders in any church to be able to say. When a member comes up to them and asks them about something that is not related to shepherding souls, I wish that our elders would be able to say, I don't know. Wouldn't that be great? Now, elders, because of their responsibility, think that they have to have their hands and everything. Preachers the same way, right? But wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, I, I don't know. I'm too busy shepherding souls. I don't know. That's Steve Brown's role. That's, that's, you know, Chad Dozier's role. Whatever. I, I got to shepherd souls. That'd be great, wouldn't it? If we could get to that point where elders feel that they can break away from some of these things and just concentrate fully on shepherding the souls of men and women. Like literal shepherds of literal sheep, spiritual shepherds have a responsibility to keep the sheep from straying, to lead them to water and pasture, to protect them from all danger, and to watch over the flock and give an account. It is a grave responsibility. And it is one that is a thankless job a lot of times. But I'm so grateful that we have men that are willing to do that. Here's the deal. There is a difference between a herdsman and a shepherd. A herdsman stands behind the cattle and prods them and barks at them and drives them in the right direction. That's not what an elder does. You don't lead sheep by putting them on a leash and dragging them. Sheep have to be led. And as elders, we lead them down the path of righteousness. And if you're a leader, 
It's probably a good idea to turn around every now and then and make sure people are following. But you are a leader, and you're leading this flock by example, not poking and prodding them or dragging them on a leash. You're not a herdsman, you're a shepherd. Because there will always be money to spend, there will always be facilities to tend to, but shepherds are in the sole business. A good shepherd understands that he's not the boss. He has a boss, right? And who is the boss in all of this, right? It's God. The man who serves the church as an elder should recognize that, yes, he is a leader, but guess what? He's also a follower. Because while he's a shepherd, he's also a sheep, isn't he? so thankful that our shepherds understand that and that they live it out and I think you know that to be true I did a book a few years ago called rest and green pastures it's on elders you can find it on Amazon you can ask me I'll give you a copy of it but in that book I asked various elders to write on various topics concerning the eldership even Janice Scott wrote a wrote a chapter you know Janice great chapter by the way talking about being the wife of an elder Great book by some great men, but one of the guys that wrote for the book is a guy by the name of Ray Bowman, who is an elder in the church in Holly Hill in Frankfort, Kentucky. And you have to know Ray. He is an outdoorsman. He, is, uh, he works in agriculture. Uh, that's, his, that's his vocation. And he said this in the book, and I'm going to quote him. He said, Bruce Vincent is a third-generation logger and motivational speaker from Libby, Montana. Ray says, I met him at an agriculture conference that we were both speaking at in Texas. And he fully captured my attention with one simple statement. Vincent said, the world is run by people who show up. It doesn't take special talents and abilities to accomplish a goal. Sometimes it just takes being there. I love that. Half the battle is won by just showing up. Shepherds just got to be there. Just being there, just showing up is half the battle, right? Being among the sheep, being present, being a presence among them, being known by the sheep and knowing the sheep. This sounds silly, but I invite you sometimes to smell our elders because they smell like sheep. They're among the sheep. They are present. And I appreciate that so much about them. Here's where I want to end this thing. I want to ask our elders to come up here. And I want to lead a prayer for them. And I want you to continue to pray for them. Not just today, but throughout the week and in your prayer life. Thank you, gentlemen. This isn't all of them. Some of them are out of town because they knew I was going to preach this sermon. But <laughs> Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your church. We're so grateful for the structure and the organization that you established. And we are so grateful for the men that you have appointed to lead this congregation. We thank you so much for their desire, for their hard work, their diligence, to study your word, to apply it, to be leaders. Thank you for leading our sheep. And we thank you for these men that you work through to lead us. We just pray, God, that 
will continue to make their role as easy as possible, that we will seek their guidance and their wisdom, that as they lead, we will follow. We pray that you be with them and their families. Help them as they strive to remain faithful to you and to your work. We love you, God. We love these men. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys, so much. Thank you. Maybe you need the prayers of this church family. You know, when we do an invitation, we always have two elders down here ready to receive you if you have a need. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you're ready to study the Bible to to learn more of what it means to be a disciple. We'd love to speak with you about that. We'd love to help you wherever you're at in this faith journey. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. We invite you, if you have a need, to come as we stand and as we sing.